On Bullseye, I talk with people who make amazing work. Greta Gerwig, Errol Morris, ASAP Ferg. The conversations are real and funny, and they take you somewhere unexpected. Find Bullseye with Jesse Thorne on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a Gen Xer, you might remember MTV VJ Adam Curry. He hosted Headbangers Ball. Put your headgear on, because the boot be hanging on the Headbangers Ball. While Curry is probably best known for his years on the music video channel, he's also credited with something else. Adam Curry is uh, one of the guys that invented podcasting. That's the late Apple CEO Steve Jobs unveiling the iTunes podcast platform in 2005. And uh, he has a podcast called The Daily Source. Let me go ahead and subscribe to that. In some circles, Curry is called the podfather. I mean, I don't call him that, but I guess some people do. And uh, we can go listen to his latest one. You know, just click on it. your daily source code, show number 180. Something remarkable is happening here. Radio is springing free of the regulated gatekeepers who've managed what you can hear since radio was invented. It's jumping into the hands of anyone at all with something or nothing to say. But even though Steve Jobs himself subscribed to Curry's show, if you try to find it now on iTunes, you will come up empty-handed. Adam Curry had a note on his website uh, two years ago, which was him calling out to fans saying, you know, I'm trying to put together an archive of all my shows. I don't have I don't have them. That's Jeremy Morris. He's a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in media studies, and he's thought a lot about Adam Curry's conundrum. Why didn't he keep them? Like, what happened to them? Did he throw them out by accident? Did he drag them to his trash bin on his computer or what? I think when you're making these things in 2005, you probably didn't think that the fact that you're talking into an iPod on your way to work, you know, and on your commute was going to be something that people would want to save for posterity, you know. Those early podcasts like Curry's suffer the same fate as the first generation of blogs. The makers stopped making them, the website went dark, and the content was lost forever to the morass of the internet. But Morris thinks he can help. You know, if podcasters aren't saving this stuff on their own, um, it's sort of, you know, this might be a, a good thing to start doing. I'm Lauren Ober, and from WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts not yet lost to eternity. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. Professor Morris started thinking about this issue of podcasts that had disappeared when he was writing an academic paper. And I went back to look for some of the early podcasts that were around, you know, in the, in the mid-2000s. And trying to find those things was actually very difficult. So in just 10 years or so, the podcasts had disappeared. iTunes doesn't necessarily keep things that go beyond, you know, a few years. It's a very useful service, but it doesn't necessarily keep track of these things. Other repositories that are out there are designed mostly for listening, you know, to current stuff rather than going back and hearing really old stuff. So Morris and his colleagues at the University of Wisconsin-Madison have created the bones of a podcast archive. We'll catch up with Morris later in the show to hear about his archiving project. We'll also hear from a Pakistani-American woman about all the things she didn't know when she immigrated to the U.S., it always felt like if I didn't look like everybody else and if I didn't talk like everybody else, then it doesn't matter what I actually know how to do. And if I could just master those things, then I could learn the rest later. But first, we're going to get super gay. June is LGBTQ Pride Month. That's when the Stonewall riots happened back in 1969 that led to the modern gay rights movement. 
And we thought it would be nice to mark the occasion with a chat with some of our favorite queer folks. So Lauren, I hear you have a podcast. Please tell us more about the podcast. (laughs) Let's turn these tables right from the top, from the jump. Guess who's in charge of this interview? And it ain't you. (laughs) Those wise guys are Kathy Tu and Tobin Lowe. They're the hosts of the podcast, Nancy. It's a new narrative show all about the LGBTQ experience from the early days of HIV to the Pulse nightclub shooting to noted gay icons, the Golden Girls. Plus, a lot of personal stories about coming out and facing demons and speculating about the queer undertones of the Harry Potter series. Plenty of kids grow up hoping for their Hogwarts letter to arrive. And of course it never does. And eventually most of them move on. It's just a book anyway. But I think this story is different for queer kids. Because if you've ever spent time in any sort of closet, then the story of Harry Potter can hit you in a much deeper place. Kathy Du and Tobin Lowe, co-hosts of Nancy. Welcome to The Big Listen. Hey, thanks for having us. Hello, Lauren. So, you know, I, I am wondering um, why why does the world need an LGBTQ-esque podcast? Because I kind of feel like, like, didn't we already sort all that stuff out, you know, like in 2015? <sighs> Whoa. Oh, we are so far oh, from that. Okay, I know okay. you asked that question in a certain way to yeah. get a reaction. I, I appreciate you. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> I think for a lot of people, LGBTQ rights ends at gay marriage, sort of right. starts and ends at gay marriage, like what their understanding of it is. And that gets at how diverse and widespread the actual needs and rights of the community are. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the goals of the podcast is to push people past that point of discussion and start to understand how diverse this community is and how much there's like a need to even understand each other within the community, if that makes sense. Right. And I think that came up for us with uh, we did an episode on gay Republicans or Mm -hmm. gay conservatives. My father was and still is a libertarian. Uh, My mother was a classic Reagan conservative. Not that it mattered. Gregory says growing up, no one forced him to be a Republican. If you want any proof that conservatism is not genetic, my sister is just about as liberal as you can get. Anyway, Gregory graduates college, moves to New York, and one day in 2008, his friend writes him an email. With a simple five-word message. Check out Thirsty Thursday, bro. A bar mixer hosted by the Log Cabin Republicans. I showed up and I was met by, you know, people who I quickly felt were family. And remember, at the time, I was not even a registered Republican. But for Gregory, it's like he found his people. After all these years bugging boyfriends by insisting on watching the O'Reilly Factor every night at 8 o'clock sharp, I was finally able to talk with other people who also insisted on watching The O'Reilly Factor with their boyfriends at 8 o'clock sharp every night. Why Why did you want to, like, with the gay Republicans, what was of interest to you? Why did you want to delve into that sort of right off the bat? That was one of your first couple of episodes. Well, it honestly started with this article that Dominic Holden of BuzzFeed wrote. We co-produced that episode with him. And, um, and especially in the more extreme ends of this gay conservative movement, there are people who you know, sort of have been able to be like, we have gay marriage now. I'm sort of done with the LGBTQ rights at Mm -hmm. large. Like I'm accepted within this conservative movement because they 
in some ways sort of shrug when you ask them about gay marriage. Mm-hmm. So there, there is this conversation, especially in that episode, about who gets left behind if you start and stop talking about rights at gay rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I liked it. Um, the first episode that you guys did was sort of it was it was Nancy's coming out and it was also like y'all's coming <laughs> out, too. And you each talk to your parents in that. And it made me think as a as a somebody who identifies in the LGBTQ umbrella about all the ways in which people come out and have to keep coming out and in the, in the and that those stories to me the coming out stories are endlessly fascinating yeah god I like I wish I could have just come out once because I I thought that that's how it was done you come out once and uh and ta-da yeah, yeah. music comes and uh, right there's streamers are, and like yeah well it's either that or what I was told was you get kicked out of the house and never speak to your parents again. I felt like it was always one or the other. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, most people I know uh, fall somewhere in the middle, which is the same for me. My, the thing I had to deal with was my mom kept not acknowledging the fact that I, that I come out to her a few times. Um, And then the, the last time I did it, I decided to record it for myself just to have a record of Mm -hmm. like, this actually happened. Hello, hello. We sat down in my sister's room because it's the quietest place in my parents' house. Okay, so this is what I was thinking. We're going to talk about things, and then we're going to use Google Translate mm-hmm. for the things that don't make any sense. Ah, Google Translate sometimes. It cannot translate. Very good. Yeah, but the point is, if you understand me. I understand, but you cannot. You guys do not understand me. It's really? Because I think that you don't understand me. Uh, I, I don't know. Okay, however. So so we'll try. I wanted to try it this way because my previous attempts at coming out ended so abruptly. First she yelled at me, then she shut me down. But maybe part of the problem was that I'd been approaching it as an announcement rather than a conversation. So this time, we were going to talk. She had the tools she needed to ask whatever she wanted and to say what she wanted. And I could too. So I did. Part of me not liking myself for so long is that I had to keep hiding part of me from you because you refused to talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not completely gay, but I'm mostly gay. Mm-hmm. That's not something you choose to do. It's just something that you are. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you 一定要那样做才比较高兴，才会觉得哦，more comfortable，那你就这样去做。If you make this decision or when you meet the right person, I guess I can't do anything about it. Go ahead，我们可以做。但是你要我totally support you，我现在还不能完全。I can't do that yet. And Tobin, your experience, um, as you outlined in your first episode, was was very different. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So my my story with my dad is very different than Kathy's experience because he, my parents were pretty accepting. We had a lot of heartfelt conversations after the fact where they were just trying to figure things out and adjust and sort of reimagine who I was. Um, and my dad used queer eye for the straight guy is sort of like 
a little bit of a helper to get him through that, all of that, because he loved the show. I became a total Queer Eye for the Straight Guy fan. Boy. <laughs> there were guys that I thought would be really fun to learn from and hang out with for a week. Um, I remember you took, like, a lot of tips from them. Well, I took some uh, personal uh, grooming tips. Uh, for example, Carson, he gave me a new word, which was I'd already rolled up my sleeves at work because I work as a doctor, and rolling up my sleeves is keeping them cleaner. But he called it zhuzhing the sleeve. It was the most amazing thing that <laughs> Because your dad didn't just watch it. He was like a super fan. He loved that show. <laughs> he loved it so hard, uh, which was hard because I had complicated feelings about the sure, show. I didn't sure. necessarily hate it per se, but I definitely, it wasn't like the thing that helped me be comfortable as a queer man. They, in that show, didn't have full lives and right. they sort of... Like we didn't meet any of their boyfriends. Your apartment, right? Exactly. Like they redecorate your apartment and then they leave. Right. <laughs> you know, you don't have to like. But know it is. Them but afterwards. it's amazing how you know how LGBTQ representation has changed even since that time. I mean, that came out. That was in the early two thousands. I think it ended in sort of like mid. But do you even think that that that, that is the right sort of measurement, the right yardstick we should be using that like seeing somebody who you identify with? Well, I think it's that I think about moments where on any level I have seen something on TV or listened to something and I can identify with something and the relief that you feel that you're not alone. Right. Mm -hmm is immense. Mm-hmm. And I also think that it's important to um, sort of acknowledge that sometimes you don't realize what you need until you see it. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I just got yes. back from, from A Camp and it was a queer normative space for queer women. Mm-hmm. And I thought that before I went to A Camp, I didn't need A Camp. I needed to be a queer space. Mm-hmm. Then I went and I was like, I didn't realize I needed this mm-hmm. and how inclusive it was and how it made me feel like I belong to a, a to a community that I didn't necessarily had before. Mm-hmm. Are you all hearing from people who don't identify as LGBTQ who are listening and learning? Yeah, yeah, it's been really kind of a lovely, a lovely thing. We got an email from somebody who literally the opening sentence was something like, "I'm a 55 year old white." <laughs> hetero cisgender man and I love your show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there have been a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also been people, uh, parents of uh, queer kids that Mm. have been listening to, Mm. I feel like they're listening to sort of make themselves feel better that, you know, their kids are in a a community. Right. I feel like that's a lot of responsibility for you too. (laughs) 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 Well, I don't think that we, uh, we don't, we don't come off we we try to present ourselves not as experts. Everybody, right. every voice in the show is is telling their story from their own perspective, and we I think we've said this a few times. <laughs> We're not coming at it as uh, as providing it like an educational experience, right? But more so, everybody's experience gets heard. Kathy Tu and Tobin Lowe are the co-hosts of Nancy from WNYC Studios. To find out more about their show, check out BigListen.org. Remember Professor Jeremy Morris from the top of the show? He's the guy who's trying to prevent podcasts like Nancy and the hundreds of thousands of other shows out there from getting chucked onto history's discard pile. 
And he's doing that with a new archiving website called Podcaster, but with an R-E, not an E-R, because he's Canadian. You know, the way it differs from iTunes is that it's going to allow for kind of advanced research on different shows. And also, if some of these shows go offline, like, uh, you know, if for whatever reason, well, I won't use the big listen. That would be no, that would be no, for shame, us. for but, shame, Jeremy. We're <laughs> never going offline. We're going to be the last remaining podcast ever. All right, that sounds like a reality uh, show. You know, <laughs> exactly. which podcast will make it? In all seriousness, up to this point, there hasn't really been a mechanism for preserving and searching old podcast episodes. But if all goes according to plan, Morris's project will address that. In simplest terms, it's a database that uh, works sort of like your podcast subscription thing on your iPhone or on your computer. We tell it to go out and collect all sorts of podcasts. Podcaster is still in beta form, but when it's fully built out, it'll be like a fancy academic database, but for podcasts. Being able to search by date or being able to search by genre, or being able to search by keyword. We also have transcripts of a lot of these podcasts. So ideally, at some point in the future, you're going to be able to search for a keyword, and it's going to show up in the transcript as well. This might seem like some nerdy librarian stuff, but if you have ever tried to find a podcast about, say, hummingbirds or peanut butter or culottes, for example, you will know that there is virtually no search tool out there that will help you. We're going to dip out for a quick break right now, but stay tuned because later in the show, we're going to keep the LGBTQ pride theme going with expert banterers, musicians Tegan and Sarah. It's end of times on on the earth right now, so just go ahead and make up whatever words you want. We'll just banterers away. (laughs) But first, we'll catch up with Misha Youssef, the Pakistani-American woman behind the podcast Beginner. I didn't know things that other people knew, and... That's part of the exploration in the podcast is also of the question, like how much of this has to do with me being an immigrant and how much of this has to do with the family that I come from or the particular socioeconomic background that I'm from or my personality type. That's coming up in a sec. Stay with us. This is NPR. Yeah, this is Paul Anderson from out at Coal Harbor, North Dakota. I'm out in the tractor today listening to the Big Listen here. And the podcast that I enjoy happens to be the Shark Farmer podcast from Rob Sharky over in life. Okay, today we are talking about kind of practicing what you and I have been preaching on this podcast. Definitely, as far as a farmer... Realizing that the world does not revolve around me, so I, I have been trying to do that. But no, also learning that you know the consumer doesn't necessarily just want to know about my farm and stuff like that. Take a listen to him, and uh, you'll find him on Twitter, and uh, that's the one that I'm enjoying uh, at the moment here. But uh, tell him ND Corn Grower sent you. Bye. Hey, pals. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober. I just got to say shout out to corn farmer Paul Anderson of Coal Harbor, North Dakota, for listening to our show in his tractor. Well, if you listen to any fun podcast in your baler or your front end loader or any other piece of heavy equipment, let us know. Ring up the pod line at 202-885-POD1. And Farmer Paul, fingers crossed for a good harvest. 
Now, if you drop me in a cornfield and say, get to work, I literally wouldn't have a clue what to do. And that's kind of how Misha Youssef felt when she first moved from Pakistan to the U.S. during middle school. She didn't know how to dress, what to say, or where to go to figure any of that stuff out. When I started going to school, I wasn't just away from home and all of my friends. I was in a new place, around new people. I felt myself growing sensitive to the world around me. I noticed how my classmates' faces would crinkle with disapproval at my accent, or my buck teeth, or my baggy jeans. For the first time in my life, I felt like no one understood me. A little more than a decade after moving to the U.S., Yusuf is trying to go back and explore all the things she didn't pick up as an immigrant kid. Biking, swimming, and early 2000s pop culture knowledge, to name a few. And she's documenting her journey in her podcast, Beginner. Misha Youssef, welcome to The Big Listen. Hi, Lauren. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start by you sort of giving a little rundown of how you came to live in the U.S. Because you are Pakistani. You you were born in Karachi, right? Mm-hmm. How did you end up here? It's actually kind of a crazy story. My family and I came to San Diego for 12 days on a semi-vacation, semi-here to pick up our passports because my parents at that time, my dad was a citizen, my mom had her green card already, and my sister and I were um, sponsored by our parents for citizenship. Mm -hmm. When we got the call from the immigration office, my parents were under the assumption that they could just come to Chula Vista, pick up their passports, go back to Pakistan, and move here when I got into college, you know, five years later. Right. And, We went to the immigration office and I remember the immigration officer asked me before we even did the formal interview or any of any of the process even started. uh, She asked me if I had taken the day off from school that day. And I was like, no, um, I, you know, I don't I don't go to school here. And she was like, wait, what do you mean you don't go to school here? (laughs) And it turned out that she didn't realize that we had an established residency. And that was, you know, one of the cornerstones of being able to get (sighs) our passports. You dimed out your family, Misha. (laughs) Like, oh, man. But we weren't trying to hide anything. You know, that was all in the open. I don't know how my dad missed that part. But (laughs) um, wait, so um, you guys wait, can uh I interrupt? So it was supposed to be a vacation. And you were yeah. supposed to go back. Like, what happened with all, everything in Pakistan? Like, did, like your yeah. lives there? <laughs> That's a great question. My dad had um, a number of restaurants in Pakistan. He was a pretty well-known restaurateur. And um, my mom had a job as a professor at um, a women's college. I think all of us were under the impression that in six months we'll establish residency and then we're going to go back to Pakistan. So we got like a six-month leave of absence from school. <laughs> my dad had his sister... Um, manage the restaurants for those six months. And then as, you know, month after month passed, we kept delaying more and more and more. And I think at some point my parents, once we moved from San Diego to uh, Palos Verdes in, in Los Angeles, I think my parents realized that that's actually where they wanted to live and what the kind of future that they wanted for us. So so because you moved at a very sort of formative age and because there was all this disruption you Mm -hmm. there were things that you didn't pick up on and 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 is that that was the the impetus for the podcast right is that there are these things that you just didn't pick up on because you're moving from one culture to the other 
at a time when like teenagerdom is tumultuous anyways. Right. But add like an international move on top of that. And you're like way behind the eight ball. I didn't actually realize how much it had to do with me being an immigrant until very recently, like maybe a year or two years ago. Um, I just felt like I didn't know things that other people knew. And that's part of the exploration in the podcast is also of the question, like how much of this has to do with me being an immigrant and how much of this has to do with the family that I come from or the particular socioeconomic background that I'm from or my personality type or, you know, my relationships with um, my friends or, you know, with men or my boyfriend or whoever. Um, but But yeah, always like, Growing up, I felt like there was something that I didn't know, and I would learn that thing, and then there would be something else that I didn't know. I'm 24. I've been hiding the truth for 13 years. I don't know how to ride a bike. I can't swim. I've never played an instrument. I don't know a single NSYNC or Backstreet Boys song. And I have a loving boyfriend. I have amazing friends, a good job, but I still feel like a fake. I still feel alone. So so some of the things that you're exploring, you you learn how to ride a bicycle. Here's what I know before I get on the bike today. I know how to balance the bike. Too tall? <laughs> no, it's not too Oh, they're perfect. No, no, I got it. I got it. Now I got it. I just need to do that. I got it. Let go, let go, let go. Let go, I'm good. I can pedal and make the bike go straight forever. As long as there are no people around or cars or other bikers or trees or, well, anything. What that means is I can't start and stop the bike without getting the pedal in exactly the perfect place. I really like that episode because I found that the conversation between you and your father was very compelling. And the fact mm -hmm. that he was like... You chose not to learn how to do this because this was hard work and you wanted to acclimate in the easiest way possible. I was generally upset, you know, that that you guys have relegated these kinds of things where it requires actual sacrifice, actual physical hard work. You know, the, those aspects of the culture, of the Western culture, you've relegated that to full-blooded, you know, born-here Americans. And you only want to acquire those aspects of the culture that are easy, that, you know, are glamorous. If my parents said that to me, I would be mad. Like, were you mad when your dad said that to you? Oh, my. Yeah, I was so mad. I mean, even when I was editing that interview, I cried because it was like six hours long and I just couldn't get through it because I would just get really frustrated listening to it. So I think for me... It, it always felt like if I didn't look like everybody else and if I didn't talk like everybody else and, you know, when I walk into a room, if I don't command the same kind of presence that everybody else does, then it doesn't matter what I actually know how to do. And if I could just master those things, then I could learn the rest later or mm -hmm. I could get away with not knowing the rest. Mm -hmm. But I yeah, I mean, it was hard work. And even this time around when I was trying to learn, you know, I'm kind of like a stubborn little kid with all these things. Like it's really really hard and and there are other things in life that are more important when you're 24 years old and you don't want to do it you know yeah An another sort of subject area that you felt sort of deficient in was american pop culture you did not know that britney spears and justin timberlake had dated and that britney cheated on him and i love that <laughs> your little sister 
who's only three years younger than you or two and a half years younger than you had to let you know that. But then I like that that episode led to a dialogue between you and, and your sister, Nora, who, you know, you thought that she was so much cooler than you, mm-hmm. but it wasn't actually the case. Like she she had her own issues around sort of fitting in and trying to carve out space for herself too. I was obsessed with popularity. Like I just felt like even to this day, I feel like people don't value me as much as they like people don't like give me enough credit. Like I feel like I should be getting thousands of likes on Facebook and like I don't know. I I was kind of obsessed with popularity and I used to like literally try to be friends with the popular kids and then I would realize it's never gonna work out and I would change groups every year, you know? I feel very comfortable with not being cool now. Like, I feel like it's kind of a hopeless case. But I think to some extent, my sister, the idea of cool has a like a, a longer, stronger hold on her than, than it did on me, you uh-huh. know? Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's frustrating for her. And, and, and I think the pop culture that she did consume, that she was like really on top of at that time, has had effects or impa- an impact on her life that she maybe wouldn't have chosen mm-hmm. so in, in that way it's it's interesting but i still do think she's the cooler sister i think she was just trying to be nice to me in the <laughs> interview <laughs> so i for you um you know you're you're putting yourself out there you're trying new things that's hard to do as an adult um what has the feeling been like for you you know to one acknowledge the things you don't know about or know how to do and then try to sort of remedy that like is it stressful yeah it's really stressful it's also really stressful with real life things and the fact that I'm making a podcast about it well right (laughs) like I said when I was interviewing my dad and then editing that interview like I felt way more emotional than I thought I was gonna feel or when I was writing the script for the pop culture episode the other day I just couldn't get through it and I just kept getting mad at the fact that my sister was cooler than me and I just got like you know just stuck on that it's it's weird because you think you've worked through these things because you're making a project that is addressing them and you're being vulnerable with people and so you must have worked through them. And also there are things that like even with biking, yes, I went and raced my cousin, but I don't I still don't feel like I really learned how to ride a bike. Like I can't comfortably ride a bike in the streets with cars zooming past me. Yeah. You know? And so I feel like that comfort level with each activity is just a thing that I'm going to have to live and I can't do it as a as an experiment. I can only do so much as an experiment. The rest has to be lived out. Misha Youssef is the creator and host of the independent podcast Beginner. To find out more about the show, hit up biglisten.org. We're going to take a tiny break right now, but when we come back, we'll catch up with Canada's favorite twins, Tegan and Sarah Quinn, about how podcasts have become an important part of their lives. Neither of us have driver's licenses, and so podcasts really have become this really, like, thing for us because we we walk and we take buses and trains and we travel all the time, and podcasts have really changed our lives because, you know, it's it's taken that that radio listening that we do at home and, and, you know, really, like, opened up this, like, incredible spectrum of learning. That's coming up next on The Big Listen. Stick around. This is NPR. 
All summer long, Pop Culture Happy Hour can help you find the best stuff, big and small. Summer is blockbuster and indie movie season. It's TV discovery season. It's beach chair binge watching season. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get podcasts. Hi, my name is Yvonne Cole. I live in Tazewell, Virginia. I think you should listen to the podcast Unconditional. It's about the mothers of prisoners. I like it because it's very frank. It tells how things are and how mothers feel. The phone rang and it was uh, somebody identified themselves as a reporter from the Ottawa Sun. And they said, do you know where your son is? And I said, no, I don't. And they said, do you know that his friend, and they named him, has been stabbed and he's died? And I said, no, I don't know that. And I don't know. And I hung up after that. I think I actually screamed. And I'm so thankful you're giving these women a chance to voice themselves. Thank you. Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and if you want to be like Yvonne from Tazewell, Virginia, and give a voice to a podcast you think deserves to be heard, then call us up. The pod line is 202-885-POD1. We look forward to hearing you gush. All right, friends, it's that time again. We call it Listen Up, and it's the part of the show where we grill some pretty cool folks about what podcasts they are into these days. Tell you that I love you, that I can't And today, just in time for LGBTQ Pride Month, we're hanging out with the musical duo Tegan and Sarah. The 36-year-old twins have been making music together since they were 15. And as long as they've been playing music, they've been open about being gay, which is a big deal. I choose to be a visible minority every day. I come out every day. I actively look for ways now to talk about who I am because I want to live as openly as I can, but I also want to inspire those who Living and being themselves is a tremendous effort and takes a tremendous amount of courage. Can you come a little closer? But for our purposes today, they're also just big podcast nerds. Tegan and Sarah Quinn, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you. We're so thrilled to be here with you. I appreciate that because you guys are busy. You're making music. You're touring, right? What are you guys up to these days? So we are mostly touring right now, mm-hmm. and we're sort of in what we like to call the the touring cycle, which generally for us is about two years. Oh, and we do we do headline shows, we tour international markets. We're about to start our festival season. We've also just launched uh, the Tegan and Sarah Foundation, which is uh, which has been very exciting for us, and it's taken up any spare time that we do have when we're not touring. And uh, yes, yeah, so we're just keeping really busy. I this kind of disappoints me because I had it in my mind that you guys were just like hanging out by the pool drinking like white wine spritzers or something. Oh yeah, day drinking. We do we fit in day drinking in pools as much as possible. Eating bonbons yeah. and just like <laughs> whiling your days away. <laughs> so when you are touring, when you're doing all this touring, do you have downtime or are you just like filling in all the gaps with business? No, you know what? Actually, touring is sometimes more relaxing than being home. And that's when we really I think that's why we love still touring and traveling. When when we we had to fly back and forth to the East Coast twice in the last two weeks and people were around me were like, "Oh, you must be dreading it." And I thought uh, no, because I get to listen to all my favorite podcasts. I get to watch all the TV shows I'm behind on, and I get to drink, drink wine on an airplane. 
night. Like, yeah. It sounds like a vacation. It's to so me. nice. That's our Cabo is like going into yeah. the going to an, on an American Airlines flight and drinking cheap. I'm wine. like, are you sure that I should be on a direct flight to D.C.? Shouldn't I stop in Austin? Um. So, uh, so you did mention catching up on the podcast. Uh, obviously, that is what we do here. What are you listening to? What are both of you? Oh, and I should. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should mention if it wasn't obvious already that you all are related, which is why you sound a little bit yeah. the same. And it's radio, and sometimes it's hard to tell. But I don't care. That nobody, nobody can tell cares. you apart. That's uh, that's actually a that is we don't care. A consistent theme through our career is like I don't know. One of them said it. You know, it's they don't even. I don't even know why people <laughs> attempt to quote us uh, as. I mean, I guess when we do in, in separate interviews, are you ever allowed to do separate interviews, or is it just like yeah, contractually? Oh yeah. If I would have known that, day. I would have just asked one of you. <laughs> it's in- it's interesting about podcasts because before podcasts was like were a thing. I, um, this is Sarah, just because I, I want to be clear oh about goodness. this. Look what we started now. Now we have to <laughs> announce ourselves before we speak. <laughs> um, I, I started listening to This American Life um, just on public radio. Mm-hmm. I love now to be able to go back and um, download. Like when we're doing like an international flight, I'll go and like actually look through the archive and download um, my favorite episodes from the past. Well, now that we can look at 1995 from the safe vantage point of 1996, we no longer inside 1995. Um, I find that show to be, it's my—it's just my ultimate. It's like your go-to, um, yeah. It's my go-to. It makes me feel safe. Mm. It makes me feel happy. It makes yeah. me cry. I laugh. It's like All a security blanket. Who, it's my security yeah. blanket podcast. Yeah. It really is. Mm-hmm. And do you, and do you, um, do you find that that's the only thing that you listen to because that their back catalog is massive or do you listen to, you know, some newer things that come down the pike? Yeah, I like I spice it up. They're sort of like my. Um, <laughs> no one has ever said that in terms of podcasting. <laughs> uh, that was that was Sarah. Uh, no, I think that um, for me, This American Life is almost like my Beatles. You know, like people are always like, wow. you're like, you're like, what do you listen to? And they're like, you know, I listen to the Beatles. I listen. Everything is about right. the Beatles, and they compare everything to the Beatles and um, which albums were better and you know whatever. And I think in a weird way, I really, I've always like been such a like like my catalog of what I listen to in terms of music is so big and huge and whatever. Um, it's hard for me to have a Beatles, I guess you could say. But right. with with podcasts, radio programs, I mean, for me, This American Life is the Beatles. It's it's sort of what I compare everything to. And, and it sort of is where I go back to a lot of the time. That is a hard bar to clear. I know. It's hard, but I do, she does I do listen like to, to other stuff. But she, yeah, Sarah, Sarah does... Um, she doesn't get stuck on something, and she is she's a um, avid sharer. So when she finds something she loves, she shares. And Sarah got me into this American Life, but she also recently got me into Two Dope Queens. Sarah was like, "You got to hear this podcast. It's so funny. You're gonna love it." Hey y'all, we're back with a new episode. It's me, Miss J. Willie, joined by my main best biatch, Phoebe Robinson. That's me, babies. And I, I love loved it and enjoyed it so much. And so I started listening to it on the tour bus, but I would fall asleep halfway through. So, you know, because it's like three in the morning, right? So I'd spend like the first 10 minutes laughing and enjoying and then I would fall asleep. So the next day I would have to like start it back over again. So I feel like I can like quote verbatim the entire first season because I've listened to each episode like a hundred times. That's right. You, absor- you absorbed it through osmosis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I absolutely love that podcast. And then, of course, got into So Many White Guys after that. So Many White Guys. So Many I, I had a question for you guys. So um, I know that you you guys have a very long history of being involved in LGBT advocacy and with your new foundation, the Tegan and Sarah Foundation. 
And I wonder if you've ever landed on any sort of LGBT or LGBT adjacent kind of podcast that that you like. Yeah, actually, the other day, Phoebe actually wrote us. I had been posting about how much I love Two Dope Queens, and she direct messaged and was like, you guys are so great. Thanks. Also, check out Nancy podcast. So we've been enjoying that podcast very much. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I just said that about Sarah, but I, sh- I know you enjoyed the first two episodes. Have you been enjoying the rest, Sarah? Yeah, I have. And I really do. Um, I, 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 it's interesting as you're saying that about I might, now my mind is kind of spinning like through like, I guess I don't necessarily think of podcasts in those types of categories. Um, uh-huh. Like, like, I, like I, I guess I just haven't thought about that before. But again, I mean, sorry to do this, going back to my Beatles. Oh, no. I think one of the things that I loved about This American Life, especially when I first started listening to it, so this would have been about 2002, 2003, was that it was so obvious to me that a lot of the people who were contributing to the show um, fairly you know, fairly frequently were, were queer. So like, mm-hmm. that's where I discovered um, David Rakoff. David has this report. Television and I broke up a long time ago. Before this assignment, it would have taken me at least four months to watch 29 hours of TV. I know how that sounds. Smarmy, superior, like one of those people who looks down on others for watching television and says things like, well, I enjoy Nova. It was one of the first examples for me of LGBTQ issues and people um, sort of integrated into a podcast that, or a radio show that really didn't have to necessarily be specifically LGBT focused. Mm -hmm. And also sometimes the stories or the pieces that were being done were being done by a a person who was obviously identifying somewhere um, on the LGBTQ spectrum. But sometimes their stories or, you know, the whatever they were talking about had nothing to do with being queer. So I thought it was a very interesting way of showing that there is a... um, there is a way to sort of speak both as as a queer person and about things that are related to being um, LGBTQ, but have a broader audience be interested in those things and also right. um, have the perspective of a queer person sort of looking at other issues, whether it's like something that's going on in the education system or whatever. Well, so, and I feel mm-hmm. like that's why Nancy's going to be, so, I, I think, is such a cool podcast because I think that it, even though it is about qu- it's queer stories and queer people, like I think that they're really amazing stories and they're really relatable. You guys are such excellent talkers, I think, in your, um, you know, among your your fans, you're known as great stage banters. Mm-hmm. Uh, banterers, I don't think a banterer banterers. is a word, but, <laughs> make, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> so, but do you have, has anyone ever said, oh, you guys should have a podcast? Oh my God, seriously, it's, it's like you're reading my mind because <laughs> I wanted to, like, I wasn't necessarily going to, bring it up if it what there wasn't an appropriate time but it's something we talk about all the time is, is that Sarah and I this is it it truly has changed our lives like neither of us have driver's licenses and so podcasts really have become this really like thing for us because we we walk and we take buses and trains and we're we travel all the time and podcasts have really changed our lives because you know it's taken that radio listening that we do at home and and you know really like opened up this like incredible spectrum of learning and and ideas mm-hmm. and whatever anyway point being that in the last couple of years we've brought it up with our managers a few times that we're really interested in the idea of of having our own podcast and 
they did some sort of initial investigating and they kind of came back with like a bit of a Debbie Downer like nah nobody really thinks what? that that's a good idea or it's like not 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 they who were talking are as, these people well they were like saying that a lot of the people who, fire them yeah they're basically saying that a lot of people kind of had like a oh it's hard to get people to listen and you can't get people to pay and we were, we were sort of like well we just love that the idea of telling stories let me tell you that even if you guys just burped into the microphone for a half an hour it would go straight to the top of the charts like a few people would listen <laughs> like more than a few people would listen. Um, I would love to continue to gas bag with you guys all yes. evening. However, I imagine that you have things to do and I'm cognizant of your time. But I so appreciate your time and it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you both. Oh, for us too. Thank you so much for having us. We really, it was oh, awesome. So fun. And listen, when you want to get your podcast off the ground, We're gonna hit you just up. give me a call. Yep. Okay. Seriously. You're going to be all like right. changing your phone number, but okay. <laughs> It's going to be like two in the morning. <laughs> Just called to spitball some ideas. New phone. Who's this? <laughs> yeah. Who does? Who does? <laughs> Treat me like your boyfriend. And trust me like a, like a very best friend. Kiss me like your boyfriend. You call me up like you want your best friend. You Tegan and Sarah Quinn are Grammy-nominated like musicians and founders of the Tegan and Sarah Foundation. To find out more about their music or any of the podcasts they recommended, check out biglisten.org. While you're there, have a listen to our extended interview with the pair. They were epic chatterboxes, and they had lots more recommendations that we couldn't fit in today's episode. We have almost reached the end of this week's episode. Oh, sad tear. But before we let you go, it's time for C-H-A-R-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts, but we're not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289. And honestly, if I've said it before, I've said it probably about a trillion times, 289 is a really great achievement. Okay, so this week's 289 is something called This is Good Life Project. It is in the self-help category. Um, and it is from a man named Jonathan Fields, who, according to his website, is a quote unquote award winning author, serial entrepreneur. That's serial, S E R I A L, not serial like you eat. Um, this podcast is an interview show where he has on people who can give you know, sort of like the keys to their success. So he's had on Elizabeth Gilbert of Eat, Pray, Love fame. I don't just want to be a million unconnected molecules flying through space. He's had on Gretchen Rubin from Happier Podcast. Wait, Happiest Project come 2009 or 2010? It was 2009, I think, right? No. He's also had on some like random yogis. Here's where you'll take a deep, and I'm not making fun, I'm just stating facts. So the episode that I listened to was with a man named Eric Wall. I've been sort of following your work for a number of years now, and my interests in you are multi-level. <laughs> um, who started off the episode by saying that success is a false oasis that you should not try to walk towards, because like all oases, there's nothing there. Uh, anyway, he is apparently a graffiti artist and also corporate lecturer, which I'm not entirely certain how those things dovetail together. I'm kind of a disruptive artist or mashup specialist. Also, I looked him up. He has a soul patch, just FYI. Anyway, if you need a little bit of a kick in the pants, maybe you can get some tips on the Good Life Project.
Want to listen to The Big Listen on the go? Well, you can. Just go to Apple Podcasts or NPR One or any fine purveyor of podcasts and hit subscribe. Then we'll be dropping into your feed like magic every week automatically. You don't have to lift a finger. Now, here at The Big Listen, we don't require a pledge of loyalty, but we would like you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at here, Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R, Big Listen. If you want to send us contemporaneous memos, our electronic mail address is biglisten at wamu.org. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Benston, Daisy Rosario, Ponce Rutch, and David Schulman, who also composed theme music. Other music in the show came from Army Navy, the band, not the store. I, Lauren Ober, was busy shanking golf balls at Bedminster. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man J.J. Yore and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a few final thoughts from Professor Jeremy Morris from the University of Wisconsin-Madison about the importance of preserving podcasts for the future. You know, if you think about silent films that we study, you know, I think we've lost something like 90% of silent films that were created, right? So, so we have a very limited view of the things that were that were helped to shape that film industry and that kind of represent the people at that time. Same with early radio. And podcasts may be just as vulnerable to the shifting sands of time as early radio and films, despite our seemingly limitless digital storage capabilities. Why do we need to save these things? I think there's an argument to be made, like with any history, that we learn from the things that came before us, right? That we we learn about who we were and therefore we can think about where we're going and who we want to be moving forward. I'm so inspired. I'm going to go archive this episode right now. Till next time, keep listening, America. This is NPR. <laughs>